Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney here, the host of How They Love Mary. When I was a teenager, I read True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. And when I say read, I mean, I read the words on the page, but I didn't understand every word he was trying to say. As a priest and a Marian theologian, many people have asked me to clarify the teachings of St. Louis de Montfort from True Devotion to Mary. I'm happy to share that I've released a new book with Ave Maria Press, called Behold the Handmaid of the Lord, a 10-day personal retreat with St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary. This book explains the basic teachings of this great Marian saint and writer and helps us to understand what he's trying to teach and to know the person of Mary better. Before you consecrate yourself to Jesus through Mary with St. Louis de Montfort's method, Learn his theology with this new book. You can buy it at AveMariaPress.com. And when you do so, you'll save when you use the code BEHOLD at checkout. My name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. As a Marian author, sometimes I have the privilege of reviewing Marian books from different publishers in advance, and they ask me to write an endorsement. And so that is what I did for the book we're going to talk about today by Dr. James Papandrea, who wrote Praying a Christ-Centered Rosary, Meditations on the Mysteries. And this is what I wrote uh, for my endorsement. This book asks questions pertinent to each mystery of the rosary and then answers them. Devotees will experience a deepening of their knowledge of Christ and begin to live the profundity of the mysteries in their daily lives. Praying a Christ-centered rosary will aid the rosary novice and grow the rosary prose prayer and meditation. It is the month of October, a month in which we do talk about the rosary, and I'm very excited to have Dr. Papandrea with me today. And thanks for joining me. Well, thank you. And I have to say thank you for the endorsement. It does appear on the back of the book, and uh, and I do appreciate that. Yeah, you know, this is probably, this is how I perceive it. So I have a few books with Ave Maria Press, and I'm pretty sure they put it on the back of the cover so they could put the book title they publish so that maybe they could facilitate sales of that. That's my only guess of why it made it on the back cover. But I was (laughs) delighted to receive a copy of it. And it's a very interesting book. But What I want to first maybe talk a little bit about is your background. So in your biography, this is a little bit about you. James Papandrea is a Catholic author, professor, speaker, and musician. He teaches church history and historical theology at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary at Northwestern University. And he is a fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology and a consultant for various adult faith formation programs. And so... Here you are, a Roman Catholic, but you're finding yourself teaching at a Protestant seminary. How does that happen? Well, it's a long and crooked path uh, that got me to where I am. But, uh, but the short version of the story is that I, uh, I was actually raised in a Protestant denomination. And so I sort of came up as a Protestant, went to seminary as a Protestant, 
um, and even got ordained in a Protestant denomination, which which was the uh, the Methodists. And um, and so when I did my Ph.D., I went to Garrett for my doctorate. And um, by the time I finished my Ph.D. in uh, patristics in, in, you know, the Church Fathers, well, I was well on my way back to the Catholic Church, of course, and that was over two decades ago. Um, and so I did, uh, I guess, I guess, I guess you would call me a revert. I came back to the Catholic faith and, uh, and yet in spite of that, I guess, um, when the job opened up at Garrett, um, I interviewed for it and I got the job. And so I've been teaching there now full time over 13 years. And, um, it's a very ecumenical place. It's a very diverse place, um, it's a very progressive place. In fact, I'm probably on the more traditional slash conservative end of the of the faculty, but uh, but they practice what they preach when they say they're tolerant of diversity, and so uh, so I get along pretty well with my colleagues. And um, you know, it's a it's a very interesting place to be, and I'm I'm kind of proud to be, if proud is the right word, uh, the Catholic on the faculty there at a Protestant seminary because. I get to bring the tradition uh, to students that, that might not otherwise get it. And I think we see that the church fathers often have had this great influence, and you often wonder how someone in Christianity, and if they're practicing one of the other branches of Christianity, apart from Catholicism, how they can read a person like St. Polycarp or St. Ignatius of Antioch and not say, I want to be who they were. I want to believe what they believed. And that's really what you're saying. You encountered the Church Fathers and it changed your life, just like it changed Mike Aquilina's life, just like it changed Scott Hahn's life and so many others. How do you think other people receive the church fathers who aren't a Catholic. So how do they receive it in their Protestant perspective? Well, I think it depends a little bit on how much, uh, how invested they are in, in, you know, their own tradition. If it's, uh, if they're among the separated brothers and sisters, um, you know, Protestants have a long tradition of giving themselves permission uh, to do things differently. And so they may very well realize, oh, I see how the early church really was very Catholic. Um, but then they, uh, they, they also give themselves permission to say, and, and yet I don't, I don't want to do that. Now, for me, as you said, you know, you're, you're spot on with what you said, because for me personally, when I encountered the church fathers and when I saw just how Catholic the early church was, I did say, hey, I have to be part of this. I can't, I can't go on without, you know, sort of reconnecting myself to this, to this tradition, this idea of apostolic succession and, and all that, that goes with that. And so that was the decision I had to make. And so here you are, you've written this book, Praying a Christ-Centered Rosary, Meditations on the Mysteries. And really what you wanted to focus was on the centrality of Jesus in the prayer of the rosary. Now, your colleagues at the seminary there, how did they receive, for example, your perception of Mary, your writing on Mary? Do they comment on this at all? Well, um, I think more in general, they appreciate the, uh, the, the fact that I bring um, a kind of ecumenism to the seminary that, you know, that we wouldn't have if there wasn't a Catholic on the faculty. 
um, you know, we often, unfortunately, don't have the time to read all of each other's books. So I can't, uh, I can't tell you for sure that any of my colleagues have actually read this book. Um, but I think that they can appreciate where I'm coming from and they see it as uh, a kind of, a, a kind of diversity, which they celebrate. Um, they see it as, you know, a way for the name of the se- of the seminary to get out there, uh, to a wider audience. And, um, you know, so, so, so far they see it as a positive thing, but, you know, no one really comes back to me and says, hey, let's talk about, you know, what you wrote on page 27 or anything like that. I mean, uh, it's, uh, they've all got their own things going on. And we think about rosary meditation books. I've written one, a rosary litany. I have some other meditations I've written over the years, praying the rosary with Sister Adele, and uh, who is the visionary from the Wisconsin Apparition Site. And during the year of St. Joseph, I wrote praying the rosary with St. Joseph, uh, just meditations focused on each mystery, incorporating somehow St. Joseph. So we often think of these books as being little meditation books, maybe even pocket books. You put it in your purse. And this is a purse-sized book. A person like Catherine Jean Lopez would probably put this in her purse and later pull it out and show it on social media or something like that. It's kind of an inside joke for people that uh, follow her on social media. But your book is a bit lengthier. So do you envision when someone's sitting down maybe and praying the rosary that they would read everything you've written about the mystery? Or do you... Do you envision them maybe reading one of the questions? So, for example, let's look at the Annunciation. You say, the Annunciation, the paradox of a virgin mother. What is the Annunciation? So you explain it. You give the scriptural citation as well. Then you ask, where was Mary? So in the Annunciation, where was Mary? Why is she important here? What does it tell us about Jesus? That's another question you ask, a very important question. And then you ask, what aspects of this mystery should we imitate? So you're asking these questions and you're answering them. The answers are a bit lengthier. So how do you envision a person praying the rosary and encountering uh, Jesus with your book? Well, I think what I have in mind when I'm writing this book is that folks will read the book not necessarily while they're praying the rosary, but they will read the book separate from the actual praying of the rosary. So they'll, let's say you, you read a section ahead of time, and then um, you will sort of boil it down in your mind, and then while you're praying the rosary, you're bringing to mind some of the things that you've read in the book. I mean, I will admit to you that I did not set out to write a book on the rosary. I set out to sort of figure out for myself as a revert to the faith and as someone who did not grow up praying the rosary, I set out to figure out for myself just what am I supposed to be meditating on while I'm praying the rosary? I mean, I'm not all that good at multitasking anyway, and it it sort of seemed like when I tried to pray the rosary, you know, when I first came back into the church, it sort of seemed like I was multitasking. I was trying to pray these prayers and think about these other things. And what exactly am I supposed to be thinking? And so I set out to figure that out for myself. And um, it it quickly became something that I thought could help other people, too. So I, I sort of envision people reading this book, maybe highlighting in it, taking notes in the margins, underlining things, um, and then using that in their prayers uh, later. 
Now, there are also some meditations in the book that kind of boil it down for you. And so once you've read the book, then you can use it while you're praying the rosary to go back to it or to pray the short meditations that that summarize what I've uh, written in the, in the different chapters. And what you're talking about there is an Appendix B, Prayable Meditations for a Christ-Centered Rosary. And I think there's a lot there that you said, and, and this is something that we do in the spiritual life, that as we begin to read more and more some of the spiritual masters, and I've been working on a new book for next year uh, about 30 different individuals and how they loved Mary. And so each person... I've taken something from them, in a sense, and in my own life then, I begin to ruminate and reflect, and when I pray the rosary, I'm thinking about some of these things that I've read from Fulton Sheen or Columba Marmion or whoever the case might be. So that's what happens in our lifelong formation, that maybe we hear a homily on the Feast of the Assumption, or on Christmas Day, and there's a point that remains with us. And as they're reading your book then, kind of getting the background information, um, then they have this thought that then they can, it recurs in their mind then as they pray the rosary. And and there was this uh, nun that I was reading a book by, uh, Sister Claire Crockett is her name. She's deceased. She was a young girl, and they wrote a biography about her. She was very holy, could be a saint one day, you never know. And she had notebooks, a journal, and she would write down, you know, as I was reading today from her book, she was, uh, for example, she read uh, one of Scott Hahn's books. And so she had like a little, little line there and then a reflection that somehow that impacted her. So that's really one of the ways people can use this book of yours, Praying a Christ-Centered Rosary, is allowing your, your own kind of exegesis, if you will, your own explanation of the mysteries to then inform uh, how they pray. Out of the 20 mysteries that we have, is there one that really you sat with the most or one that really made an impression upon you the most? Well, I don't know if I can uh, pinpoint one. I mean, a lot of what I wrote in the book is sort of the result of my years of studying um, the scriptures, the church fathers, and especially as I focused on Christology, you know, what we understand about Jesus Christ in my teaching. And so, you know, the, the you know, more than 10 years of full-time teaching uh, about who Jesus is has gone into this book. And, um, you know, one of the things I tell my students, and I think this resonates especially with the Protestant students who maybe aren't quite ready for uh, very much Marian devotion, but I always tell them, you know, everything we believe about Mary also tells us something about Jesus Christ. And so uh, behind every Marian devotion is Christology. And um, so as I was writing this book, that's really what came through is sort of my experience with, uh, with Jesus and the doctrines that, that we, um, you know, the, the ways in which we understand him as fully divine and truly human. And, um, and so those are the things that, that came through. And as I was writing, I came to, to realize that a lot of these things, or actually all of them, can be expressed as what I call paradoxes, or, you know, these kinds of things that would seem like a contradiction, but 
we believe by faith that they are not. So, for example, the, the fact that Mary is a virgin mother, right? I mean, that right there sounds like it can't be true. It's a contradiction. And yet it is true. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, I sort of cast all of these mysteries um, in, in that sense of how is it paradoxical, but how is it still true? Um, and, and I think if, you, if I wanted to pinpoint one, the, 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 the one thing in all of this that is the most mysterious to me and the most wonderful and the most miraculous and the most awe-inspiring is this idea of Mary as the mother of God. Because, you know, again, just based on the, the grammar of, of the title, it doesn't sound like God should have a mother. And yet, the divine word of God was was held in the womb of Mary. And so th- this whole concept of Mary being the vessel for for divinity itself is, um, I mean, it's just kind of overwhelming, but also just so beautiful. Here's an interesting thing that I note as I page through your book and you know, we have the four different parts, as you call them, which are the sets of mysteries. Uh, you originally three with the addition of the fourth by Pope St. John Paul II, the joyful, the luminous, the sorrowful, and the glorious mysteries. And before you proceed or enter into the mysteries, you actually give a little anecdote. And uh, it, they're very interesting anecdotes, you know, for for example, you tell the story about Hiroshima before the Sorrowful Mysteries. And in before the Glorious Mysteries, uh, you have a mystery in history. The rosary protects a woman from a serial killer. Ted Bundy is one of the most famous serial killers in American history. In 1978, he attacked young women in a small sorority house in Florida. One woman in the house who was not attacked shared with the priest that she was praying the rosary in bed that night. Many people believe death passed over this young woman because of the rosary she held. Mother Mary protected her. The church fathers had a saying, where the sign of the cross is, evil is weakest. When that cross is a crucifix and that crucifix is attached to a rosary, evil is not only weak, it is afraid. What was the motivation, I guess, uh, in including these stories as prefaces before each of the mysteries? Of course, we see there, this is right before the glorious mysteries and the idea of death. Well, Jesus conquers death through the resurrection. He ascends into heaven through the proclamation of the gospel and Pentecost by sending out the apostles filled with the spirit. The kingdom of heaven is proclaimed in the assumption we have Mary in her passing from this life, taken body and soul to heaven and in heaven, then crowned as queen of heaven and earth. So death is central to the glorious mysteries, which might be why you include this little anecdote, but why include them? Well, you know, I'm, I mean, I've always been kind of fascinated with uh, Marian uh, miracles and apparitions. And, um, you know, there are, there are some, I think, uh, what what we should consider miracles that are really significant in history. I mean, we have, you know, St. Clair um, holding off the, uh, you know, the, the siege army with, uh, with the Blessed Sacrament. And we, you know, we have these kinds of moments in history when um, I think God intervenes in ways that, that change history. Now, so, in, in that light, I became very fascinated with the Battle of Lepanto in 1571, 
which was uh, at a time when um, Europe itself was threatened. And the Pope uh, had just uh, issued the, the, the statement on the rosary and was getting everyone to pray the rosary for the safety of Europe and for the victory of the, um, the Christian forces, the Holy League. And, uh, and of course, that battle, the, the Christians were victorious. So I knew that I wanted to include something in the book about the Battle of Lepanto. And so that became the first of my, um, you know, mysteries in history. And then I had to find, I had to find them for the other, uh, for the other mysteries. And so, um, the, the one you picked is interesting because that, that was the, the one about the, the whole Ted Bundy episode. That was the most difficult one to put into a form that we could publish without sort of, you know, propagating too much legend around that. Cause there's a lot of legend that's built up around that event. And so, uh, so we that was a bit of a negotiation between me and the uh, and the editors, but um, but I really wanted to sort of uh, you know anchor all of this in history by um, just giving little snippets of ways in which the Rosary has been involved in God's intervention in history. In your book, then, too, as you ask these questions, as you show God's intervention in history, you also want to show the presence of Mary in each of these historical moments of Jesus's life in the in the reflection on the mysteries. And her presence in the mystery sometimes is very clear. For example, we know that she receives the message at the Annunciation. She is the one that receives the message at the Annunciation. She is the one that goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. She is the one who brings forth Christ from her womb. So she's present in those mysteries. But then we have other mysteries where her presence might not as well be known when the baptism of Jesus takes place. Where was Mary then? Or at the proclamation, where was Mary then? Well, where do you think she was, for example, at the baptism of the Lord? Was she there with Jesus, do you think? Or what's your thoughts there? Well, you know, I, I do a little bit of a, a little bit of speculation about that. Um, but I think that uh, it's safe to assume that she stayed close to him as much as she possibly could. And I guess I'm basing that on um, partly on the fact that at the cross, when even most of the disciples were not right there, she was. And um, so, you know, I just sort of, when we don't really know where she was in the moment, um, I sort of speculate about where she might be and always kind of, you know, starting on the assumption that she was probably not far away um, and, uh, and, and what role she would have had uh, in at least being a witness to these events. Now, the resurrection of Jesus, this is a very highly contested question that has been reflected about for many centuries by people such as St. Ignatius of Loyola or John Paul II. But there are these traditions that maybe believe that Mary was present there at the resurrection. And just the other day, actually, I came across something that said that maybe Mary was even with Mary Magdalene. And so the two Marys go to the tomb together, but Mary Magdalene becomes the official 
official record of the witness. And St. Maximus the Confessor in his book, The Life of the Virgin, brings this out as well, saying that, well, Mary receives a visit of Christ, but no one would have believed if the mother was the witness of the resurrection. So that's why Mary Magdalene is necessary. That is why she's the official witness. Where was Mary, do you think, at the resurrection? Was she a recipient of a visit of Jesus? Well, I, I can't imagine that she wouldn't be. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, there, there's clearly this group of women who support the activity of Jesus and the disciples, and who are there as disciples themselves, in, in a way. And, and um, it, you know, it seems unlikely to me that any of them would go to the tomb without Mother Mary. Now, unless, I guess we could speculate, maybe unless she was too upset in that moment uh, to go there, maybe they would go without her. Um, maybe, uh, you know, uh, maybe, you know, when, when the story was being told, maybe she asked to be left out of it, even though she was there, out of humility or, or for whatever reason. Um, but it just seems to me more likely that she would have been there um, and, you know, certainly I'm, I'm convinced she would have, um, she would have been there with the disciples when Jesus was with all the disciples. And so she would have certainly seen her son, uh, resurrected. I really do like the fact that you ask these questions. Where was Mary? So as we reflect on these mysteries, well, where is she in this mystery being reflected? Or you ask that other question, well, what does this tell us about Jesus? So we have some of these glorious mysteries, for example, that are all about Mary. The fact that she was assumed into heaven, that she was crowned queen of heaven and earth. What does that tell us about Jesus if Mary is assumed and crowned as queen? Well, I mean, you know, her assumption is the, the it, it is her resurrection, of course, right? I mean, we all await and hope for resurrection. And even those who have passed away um, are in a state where their spirits are separated from their bodies until the resurrection. I mean, this is even the saints. This is why we have relics, because the bodies of the, of the saints are still not reunited with their spirits. We all hope for that reunion of body and spirit, which is the resurrection. But Mother Mary does not need to wait for that. She experiences the resurrection immediately in her assumption. But the difference between an assumption and an ascension is the difference between passive and active. Um, Mary is not divine, so she, she doesn't ascend on her own power. She needs to be brought up into heaven. That is her assumption. And that is done by her son. And, you know, this this is another affirmation of the divinity of Christ and of his role as um, the, the king of the kingdom of heaven. So you ask these wonderful questions, which really help to deepen our own meditation on the rosary mysteries. You share all of them in praying a Christ-centered rosary meditations on the mysteries and during the month of October, a month that we pray the rosary with great devotion, and hopefully as we rediscover the rosary during the month of October, well, then it becomes a part of our daily life throughout the year. And what we discover during this month will enrich our rosary prayer, 
not only during October, but really for the rest of our lives. And we just think about the fact that we contemplate these mysteries in this life, and one day we'll behold the mystery itself, that is Jesus, uh, in the kingdom of heaven at the end of our own life. So what a beautiful little book you've gifted us and for all that pick it up to deepen their rosary devotion. So it's good for the rosary novice, as I said in the endorsement, or it will also enrich the rosary pro. So thanks so much, Dr. Jim Papandrea, for writing this book and sharing it with us today. Well, thank you. It's been great to talk to you about it. I really appreciate uh being on with you. Thanks. And now I'm aware that you do some other things. I know that you have a YouTube channel and I'm a subscriber to it. I've watched a few of the presentations you do and you present on the Church Father. So you have that. You've written a few other books, The Early Church, A Week in the Life of Rome, and From Star Wars to Superman and Trinity 101. So you have other titles you've written as well. If people want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Well, that's great. A uh, great question. So my uh, my YouTube uh, channel is easily accessible by going to uh, when the church was one dot com, and that's just when the church was one o n e when the church was one dot com will take folks right to my uh, my YouTube um, video series on the original church, and uh, my Amazon author page is at drjimsbooks dot com. Uh, and so just go to drjimsbooks.com and all of my books are there. Well, that's great. And I'll be sure to link those in the show notes so they're easily accessible to people and that they can discover the great work that you're doing. And they can also get a copy of Praying a Christ-Centered Rosary, Meditations on the Mysteries. And really, Christ is at the center of the rosary because in every Hail Mary, we say the name of Jesus. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show and for all the many ways that you support the podcast. If you want to help out the podcast, be sure to check out Sock Religious. I love their socks. I love their shirts. And so go over to Sock Religious, use the link in the show notes, and buy some holy socks or some holy shirts that you can wear to evangelize your family and your friends. If you also want to support the podcast, I invite you to please share the podcast with your friends or on your social media platforms. Rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't mind, please follow me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My handle is at FR Edward Looney. You'll see all of the posts, all of the content that I put out each week by following me there. Thanks so much again for listening today. Know that I am entrusting you to the heart of Mary, asking her to pray for you this day and every day. And if you don't mind, say a prayer for me too. Let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.